growing in God's Word, and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Name-calling or being made fun of or being ridiculed for believing in a God in a culture that believes it has reached a state that is enlightened and no longer needs to have a belief system like that. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Have you ever heard that old saying from childhood? Of course, it's true that being called names, being made fun of usually doesn't break any bones, but it can still hurt, can't it? It, it, it hurts people to be, to be made fun of or laughed at or called ridiculous or, or ignorant or whatever the case may be. It's, it's a real thing. Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. Today in our Survivor Series, we're going to explore the subject of surviving persecution. And in the culture we live in today, in the United States, the predominant form of persecution we face is ridicule, name-calling, being made fun of. As Pastor Clay is going to explain in a few minutes, in many parts of the world, persecution for followers of Jesus Christ is much more severe and dangerous. So comparing our persecution with what some have faced throughout history and many still face today, it may seem as if our form of persecution is not even worth mentioning. But as I said a few minutes ago, being made fun of can still hurt. Whether it's on Facebook, in a classroom, work, or social setting, being ridiculed for your belief is never fun. And many followers of Jesus aren't willing to speak up about their faith because they don't want to be made fun of. The predominant type of persecution that would be experienced here in America, it's, it's quite possible for people to be persecuted for theological and or moral convictions. That's why Pastor Clay is taking us to a story in Acts chapter 17 where the Apostle Paul faced persecution similar to what we face today. From his example, we're going to learn what we should do when we're persecuted for our faith. Now here's Pastor Clay with today's message on surviving persecution. There was a rather uh, significant ruling by the United States Supreme Court uh, this week. Um, Back in 2012, there was uh, a baker living in Colorado uh, by the name of Jack Phillips. Jack Phillips owned uh, a bake shop, a cake shop called Masterpiece Masterpiece or Master Design Cakes. And uh, Jack... Uh, apparently, I don't know him, but Jack Phillips apparently is a, a committed Christian. And uh, he was asked to uh, design and bake a cake for a homosexual couple who were uh, planning to get married. And Jack Phillips uh, just believed that, that, that he just couldn't do that. He couldn't use what he saw as God-given artistic talents to, to glorify a situation that he believes that God prohibits. And uh, so, uh, as, as he had said, that he, he sells his goods to anybody that comes in, any of his baked goods, and it has their, their sexual preferences, that makes no difference to him. But as far as specifically designing a cake for that express purpose, he, he, he refused to do it. He said he wouldn't do it. The uh, Colorado Civil Rights Commission... Uh, said that he did not have the right to do that. And so they, along with the, uh, the two homosexual men, uh, sued uh, Jack Phillips uh, for his unwillingness to, to bake them a cake. It, like I said, this happened in 2012, so it's taken a number of years 
to work through the system. And this past Monday, in a seven, surprisingly, seven to two vote, the United States Supreme Court ruled that the Colorado Civil Rights Commission had a blatant bias toward uh, Jack Phillips and that he did, in fact, because of his religious conviction, have the right to refuse to bake a, a cake for somebody that he had a religious conviction about why he should not do it. Uh, That decision uh, has been hailed as a victory for religious freedom in this nation. And and I think that it, it is. But that is certainly not the end of it. That certainly will not be the end of it. Uh, And and Jack Phillips wasn't the first person or business owner to be uh, uh, sued in this way, and it's cost many of them hundreds of thousands of dollars in fines and legal fees, and some have gone out of business. Um, But it's, it's not the end of it. Persecution is something that has existed in since the church was founded, the, the idea since Jesus went back to heaven and said, go make disciples, and this, that whole thing got started, this, this church thing that we do, the persecution of the church, the persecution of people for uh, their convictions is not anything new, and it's not anything that's going to end. Now, of course, when we talk about persecution, we need to keep it in the right perspective, right? Uh, all over the world... Today, men and women will be murdered. Men and women will be put to death today for no other reason other than they have been identified as a follower of Jesus Christ. That will happen in the world today. All over the world, thousands and thousands of people are in prison because of their belief that Jesus Christ is Savior and the only way uh, to heaven. And there are people languishing in prisons for that very reason. So when we talk about persecution in our culture, we we need to do it with a grain of salt, right? We need to keep it in some sense of of perspective. Would you agree? Because in our culture today, now it, it very well may and probably will get worse, but in our culture today, the predominant form of persecution that might come to us would be name calling or or uh, being made fun of or being ridiculed for believing in a God in a culture that believes it has, it has reached a state that, that is enlightened and no longer needs to have a belief system like that. And so we're, we're made fun of uh, sometimes for our, our beliefs. That's the, that's the predominant type of persecution that would be experienced here in America. It's, it's quite possible for uh, people to be uh, persecuted in the culture in which I'm talking about, made fun of, laughed at, uh, called ridiculous, to be, to be ridiculed for uh, theological and or moral convictions based on those theological convictions. For instance, God says in his word that the gift of sexuality is so powerful and, and so valuable that it is to be reserved for a man and a woman in marriage. And so we would say or we would teach young people to remain virgins, to save themselves until they give themselves away to their spouse. Because that's what God says in his word. 
And so a young person, a, a, a young lady or a young man who says, listen, I, I'm going to wait. I'm going to save myself because God says I, I may, have, may have this desire. And we do. God given us this. I may have this desire. But God says that I, that I need to wait until I'm married. And I think God knows better than I do or the world does. So, so I'm going to choose to wait. The world laughs at that. The, the, in a general sense, if you understand that, the world mocks that and ridicules that and instead holds up Snooky and Mike the Situation and the rest of the cast from Jersey Shore as the, as the kind of lifestyle that, that young people should pursue with their lives. So, so that is predominantly the kind of persecution we might face in our culture today. There is an old saying... Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. All right? You heard that? I don't even know if that's still around anymore. (laughs) Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. We say that as kids. But that's not entirely true, is it? No, it's true. Nobody probably ever got their nose broke from being called a, a follower of Jesus or from being made fun of, but insults hurt. It, it, it hurts people to be, to be made fun of or laughed at or called ridiculous or, or ignorant or, or whatever the case may be. It's, it's a real thing. So I thought I would spend the next uh, two weeks, but quite honestly, it's, I'm pretty sure it's going to be three weeks now. It, it, I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles now to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, we're going to look at a story of persecution and how you and I survive persecution in the world in which we live. If I am, and listen, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, thank you. Thank you for coming in here. Thank you for being here. Thank you for saying, listen, I'll check it out. I'll see what this is all about. If you happen to be here and you're not a believer, we're honored that you would come and, and would just hear what we believe God says in his word. But if you're here and you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you would profess to be a follower of Jesus Christ then the idea of persecution is a, is a, can be a real thing. It may vary in its intensity from culture to culture, but it is a real thing. So in Acts chapter 17, I want to read the passage of Scripture uh, about a particular situation where the Apostle Paul found himself persecuted for uh, his belief and what we can learn from that. Now, let me say this. There's a lot of different places where we could pick where Paul's persecuted, uh, but I picked Acts chapter 17 particularly because what happens to him there probably most closely mirrors the type of persecution that you and I might face in our lives in this culture. You with me? Acts chapter 17, uh, I'm going to read this morning, uh, starting in verse 16 and read through verse 21, okay? Now, while Paul was waiting uh, for them at Athens, his spirit was being provoked within him as he was observing the city full of idols. So he was reasoning in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be present. And also some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers were conversing with him. And some were saying, what would this idle babbler wish to say? Others, he seems to be a proclaimer of strange deities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Oropagus saying, may we know what this new teaching is which you are proclaiming? For you are bringing some strange things to our ears. So we want to know what these 
things mean. Verse 21, Now all the Athenians and the strangers visiting there used to spend their time in nothing other than telling or hearing something new. Okay. Let's start with this idea this morning. I want to, I want to give you over the next uh, few weeks uh, just some do's and don'ts for surviving persecution. If you're a follower of Jesus and you say, I, I got to live this, I want to stand up for this, I, so, and, and I may face persecution, how do I do that? How do I survive that? How, and remember, I keep saying this in the context of this series, surviving means what? Me, thriving, right? Surviving means thriving, not just surviving, right? <laughs> right? Okay, all right, let's get started. Let's start with the first do's and don'ts. Let's start with a don't. Don't be at ease with the lostness around you. When persecution, here's the idea. Here's the first thing we find out from Paul. Don't be at ease with the lostness around you. The apostle Paul uh, is on his second missionary journey, okay? Now, he he has pretty much been roughed up, beat up, thrown in prison, run out of town, pretty much everywhere that he has been. He is uh, fresh from Thessalonica. He'd been to Thessalonica where he got ran out of town, uh, literally uh, escaping with his life. Went down to Berea. Things were going well down there until uh, those who, who wanted to persecute them came and involved in that. And, he gets, and, he's, and he's run out of town basically again. He, again, he's, his life is threatened in Berea. And finally, a small group of people, small group of followers, managed to, to get Paul out of there. They managed to sneak him out of town, and they take him down to Athens, this cultural icon in the world. So they take him down to Athens, and they basically say, <laughs> all right, Paul, just, just, just lay low, all right? Just, this is basically what they just, just take it easy. Silas and Timothy will be able to join you in a couple of days. Uh, so just, you know, stay out of trouble, lay low, and then when they get here, then y'all can decide from there, you know, where to go next, what to do next. And, you know, let's, let's just, what did verse 16 say, say again? Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was being provoked within him as, as he was observing the city full of idols. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this, this is part of who we ought to be. To say to you and to say to me, does the lostness around you bother you? Not, not, not that anybody is any better or worse than anybody else, but as a person without a relationship with Christ, as, as our culture is affected by uh, a culture that is not driven by what God says, does, does that bother us that it does it? You, you want to survive persecution? You start with this idea that you just, you, you don't be at ease with the lostness around you. Paul is, and listen, when, when this happens, when in a few days, when Paul's buddies show up and find him in a, in a heap of trouble again and, and at the brink of being killed by another mob, he, he's not even going to be able to blame this on God. Now, God certainly was at work in this, but what I mean is Paul's not going to be able to say, well, you know, I, I, I just, I, I really, I was just cooling my jets, man. I was just relaxing. I, was, I wasn't doing nothing. And some guy just comes up to me and says, tell me about your God. Paul's not going to be able to do that. Why? You know why? Because Paul, listen to me, this is very important for us. Paul is not waiting for a divine appointment to come to him. Paul's going to go find the divine appointment waiting for him. And he's going to do it because he can't, he just can't 
look around at the lostness of those people around him and be quiet about it. it just, it's just, he, he, it's, it's stirring him. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's stirring him. The text says, although he looks around, he looks at the idols, he looks at the condition of this, the, the text says that he is provoked. Uh, paroxino in the original Greek that the, that the book of Acts was written in basically means to stimulate, to irritate, to arouse, to anger. Now, what's interesting is that verb is usually used in a negative sense, uh, as it is in, uh, in the 1 Corinthians 13, 5, where it says, love is not easily provoked. Same, same verb is used there. Love is not easily provoked. And it goes on to explain why. Because love is patient, love is kind, all that kind of stuff. So love is usually not irritated. Love is usually not angered. Same verb is used here, but here it says that Paul's spirit within him is, is, is stirred. It's provoked. It, it's ticked, he's ticked off. He's ticked off at the lostness that he sees around him and the hopelessness that people have in their lives. We cannot be at ease with the lostness around us. The, the Good News translation kind of really captures that, that verse 16. It says, while Paul was waiting in Athens for Silas and Timothy, he was greatly upset when he noticed how full of idols the city was. I want to ask you again, when, when you look around at your classmates that you have now, or those of you that are graduating, if you're going off to college, your classmates that, that you'll have in college, when, when, when you look around at, at your coworkers, your neighbors, does it upset you that they're lost that they have no hope in their life, that they're trying to fill the void in their life with this and that and everything else, uh, and, and, and they're missing the one thing that can change their life, and that's a relationship with Jesus Christ. Do, do, do you, does that bother you? I think one of the, I hope that I try and keep that mindset, but I, I know one of the times distinctly that that, that idea really impressed upon me was a number of years ago, Cindy and I were on a mission trip in China. Uh, Cindy and Eric Clary and myself and, and the missionary who resided there in that country, uh, he was taking us to a very, very remote uh, village uh, in the mountains of southwest China. We took this twisty, turny mountain road, just wound up through the mountains it was for hours and hours and hours, and this four-wheel drive vehicle on these cobble, it was just it was one of the roughest rides uh, that I've ever, ever done. And uh, somewhere along the way, we stopped to kind of take a break, stretch our legs, and we got out. And when we got out, there was kind of this little place that you could walk up to. And I can remember as we kind of just stretching our legs and we're talking and stuff, and we're looking out. And you, as you looked out over the mountains, just fold upon fold, layer upon layer of the mountains, you could see scattered all throughout the mountains little, little smoke flumes rising up from villages scattered all over the mountains. And I, I can remember distinctly, and I think I wrote this later in, in, my, in my journal, that I was looking at the smoke of a thousand villages where the name of Jesus had never been proclaimed. Had never heard the name. It broke my heart to think that. A thousand villages where they, they'd never heard the name of Jesus one time. It should stir our hearts that, that there's lostness all around us. I know that our lives are busy. I know that we have a lot going on. I know that we've got this schedule and, and that responsibility and this bill to pay and that thing to do. And so, it, it, right, it can become so easy to just put our blinders on and just move forward. You know what I'm saying? Just move forward. Yeah, yeah I'm not real happy with, with, with the things that are going on in the world or some of the stuff I see happening or, or all this kind of stuff. But, man, I, I, got, I got my own stuff to worry about. I got my own family to take care of. I got my own uh, uh, schooling I'm trying to get through. I've got my own this and that. And, I, and I've just, I just got to keep... 
I got to keep going. That, that's, that's, I'm, I'm just saying to you, that's not Paul. He can't do that. It's not in him to just, hey, just, just lay low, Paul. Just lay low. All right, real, real quickly, let, let, I'm, let me give you a second one. But let me just say to you, just, just starting with that idea. And if you're thinking, well, how does uh, not being at ease with the losses around me, how does that help me with my persecution? If I'm being persecuted at work or at school, if I'm being made fun of because I'm a follower of Jesus, because I've stood up or because I said I'm not going to be, in, be involved in that because God says that's morally wrong, how does being burdened for the lostness around me, not being at ease with it. How does that help my persecution? Here's how it does it, folks. When you let the Spirit of God provoke you, stir you, even anger you in, in your spirit at the condition of the world around you and the people around you, when you let that happen, you understand what I'm saying? Then what they say to you or what they do to you, it just really won't matter that much. You know what I'm saying? It just won't matter that much because A, I say this all the time, lost people, people without a relationship with Jesus, it's not a drug trap, I'm just saying they're without a relationship with Jesus. Lost people act the way they do because they're lost. They make fun of you because this is foolishness to them, as the Apostle Paul says. But when you, when you have that burden, when you sense that in you, and you're like, I, I can't, I, look, I, when I see the idols around, now our idols might not be, made out of silver or gold or wood or stone or whatever, but the people still have their idols, don't they? The, the biggest one being the idol of self. It's my life. I want to live it how I want. I want to do what I want. I, I want to call my own shots. It, it, it's, I believe in the Trinity, me, myself, and I, right? That's, that's probably the biggest idol of all. Does that bother you? You stirred in your heart that this, this person is going to spend eternity separated from God. All right, here's, here's a second idea real quickly this morning, and we'll, we'll kind of wind up with this one. Do be intentional about trying to engage people. Don't be at ease with the lostness around you. Do be intentional about engaging the people around you. Let me read verse 17 again. Look, look at what happens. So he was reasoning in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles and in the marketplace every day with those who happen to be present. So much for laying low, huh? But as I just said, he couldn't. His spirit wouldn't let him just ignore and pretend and, and care about his own safety and all that kind of stuff. It, it, it wouldn't let him do that. He, he's got to engage these people. And, and here's the thing. He's, he's going to be intentional about it. He starts in the synagogue where the Jews and, the, and it says the God-fearing Gentiles were. Those were people that would have already had this idea of, of what we refer to as monotheism. They already get the idea that there's really just one God, right? Now, the rest of Athens and the rest of the world basically held to this idea of plurality of gods, a God for this, a God for that, a God for all this kind of stuff. We'll get to that uh, next week or the week after that. But he would start with the Jews. He was a Jew. He would start with the Jews uh, because he cared about them and because they would already have this idea of a monotheistic God. He would start there. He would reason with them, no doubt, from, from the Old Testament, he could do that. But then when he goes into the marketplace, right? It's not just at church. He's going to talk about Jesus. He's going into the marketplace. And he's just, I don't know, maybe he's, maybe he's checking out the lettuce, how it looks. Here's some chicken heads over here. I wonder if I had to pick a couple. Of, maybe he's, I don't know what he's doing in the marketplace, but he's in the marketplace. He's just there. And, and he's looking is that he's looking for ways to engage people, to begin to have conversations with people. He's going to be intentional about this. I, I really think that sometimes 
followers of Jesus think that that evangelism works like this, that, well, if somebody comes up to me and asks me how to be saved, man, I'll tell them. I really think there's people, and I'll say it again, no, not for Paul, no. He's not waiting for a divine appointment. He's going to go find a divine appointment. And they're out there. We're going to see that next week. The divine appointment was out there. But the point is, he's being intentional about this. He's willing to engage the world around him. As we'll see when he gets into this with them, that there's, there's some people that think they're pretty smart in this, and that might be kind of intimidating for some people. But because of the burden that he feels for the lostness around them, he says, I, I, I can't sit here and do nothing. I can't lay low no matter what happens to me. I'm going to have to go out and try and find a way to engage the world around me. Do you and I, on a, on a daily basis, when we go out, do we, are we intentional about, I, I, wonder, I wonder where I can engage somebody today? Paul goes out and he is, uh, let me give you this word real quick, he was reasoning with them. The word is uh, dialogetto, uh, and it basically means this, to reason, to revolve in the mind, to teach with the method of question and answer, to give a discourse, but always with the idea of an intellectual uh, stimulus, uh, according to Ranker and Rogers. That's what they say. It is to, I, I love this, to reason, to revolve in the mind. In other words, can I say this to you? He's meeting them where they are. This is, he's in Athens. It's a, it's a city of intellect. And all that. The point is he's meeting them where they are. And he doesn't just go in there and say, hey, turn or burn, buddy. You know what I'm saying? Hey, uh, hey, uh, get right or you're going to get left. He's going in there and he's, he's, he's revolving. He's getting them to think about this. He's getting them to think about the world in which they lived and think about the, all these idols and think about this, God. It's a method of question and answer to give a discourse, but always with the idea of intellectual stimulus. He's trying to, to stir them up. He's trying to help them think. Because they, like us, blinders on, I'm just living life, doing my thing, whatever, da-da. He's like, hey, uh, what, what are y'all doing? Nice head of lettuce there, yeah. yeah. You know, where do you think lettuce comes from? I don't know, what, I don't know how he did it. It's not the point. The point is he was intentional about it. You understand what I'm saying? Are you and I intentional about engaging the lostness around us? Uh, this past week, Cindy had to go to the doctor to, uh, for them to draw some blood for regular testings, all that kind of stuff and everything. And while she was there, I'm not sure what she hit, but the lady that was drawing the blood, Cindy said she hit something in her arm that would just caused her to go through just excruciating pain, right? When, when whatever she stuck that needle into just excruciating pain and, and Cindy basically passed out or she almost passed. She said, I, I think I'm going to pass out. And uh, so, the, you know, the lady you know, was obviously and rightfully concerned and, you know, they wanted her to sit there a while and all that stuff and, and she insisted on walking Cindy out to, the, to her car and she's like, no, I, I'm fine. I don't, I, I don't need, I don't, I don't need the attention. I don't know all that kind of stuff. And through the course of all this, she, they're just talking, right? They're engaged and they're talking and talking and uh, at, at some point it led to the opportunity for this lady to begin to talk about how she's either just coming out of or just was in the midst of some just nasty divorce and, and how much in turmoil her life is and, and all, all of that kind of stuff. And it gave Cindy the opportunity just to minister to her and share with her. God, you understand what I'm saying? It's just, if, are we looking for ways? But we don't, right? So, I mean, I got to hurry up and get that blood because I, I got to be to work by nine. You understand what I'm saying? 
to slow down and to think, how can I engage people around me if that's what God wants? And that's what he wants. That's, that's right. You, you, maybe you've seen this passage of Scripture in First uh, Peter chapter 3. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. So he starts out, Peter saying, make sure God is, is the top priority in your life. That's basically what he's saying there. Sanctify Christ in your hearts, that, that, that he's Lord of your life, that he's directing my path. He's accomplishing his, his purposes. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense. Some, some translations say to give an answer. It's apologia, to, to give a, an accurate defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. In other words, we're, we're, not, we're, not, trying to, we're not trying to win an argument, ladies and gentlemen. We're trying to win people to Christ. That's what we're trying to do. And so it is being ready and expecting to find a way to engage people around me with the message of the cross. Now listen. I, I couldn't tell you how many times I've had a similar response to what Cindy was telling about, how many times I've had somebody say, well, I just, what, what this lady said to Cindy, I just believe God put us together for this morning. I, I've had people say that so many times. Now, what happens with it, what goes with it, what, all that, I, I don't know. But here's what I know. I know that I have a responsibility to care about where people will spend eternity and to be willing to engage people in some way to, to revolve it, to get, them, to get the wheels turning, get them thinking, you know what, where... In some sense, isn't that exactly what Victoria did with Hannah? Just, just kind of continually talking and thinking and this about the Lord and that. And, 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 and she didn't want to hear it at first, but, but eventually under the, under the power of the Holy Spirit, it starts revolving, it starts happening, Spirit starts working and convicting, and God leads a young lady to Christ because another young lady was burdened for the lostness of her friend. That's all I'm saying, and we'll quit with this today, but, but this is how you survive persecution. You get to this place where you, you can't be quiet. You, you've got to, you're, you're too burdened about it, and then you be intentional about saying. Here, here's what I would love us to do. You know, one of the things we say around cross-culture, one of our statements, one of our many statements that your pastor and others come up with, one of them is, life is a mission trip. That's one of the things we say at Cross-Culture Church, right? Life is a mission trip. In other words, it's not just when I go to this country over there or, or go up to this church plant work over there or whatever. No, every day life is a mission trip. How I engage the world around me, how I interact with them. You and I must see people the way Jesus sees people. In uh, Mark chapter 6, when Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd and he felt compassion for them because why? They're like sheep without a shepherd and he began to teach them many things. People around us without a relationship with Jesus Christ are like sheep without a shepherd. If you know something about sheep, sheep without a shepherd don't stick around very long. Life does not go well for sheep without a shepherd. Let me just say that. And that's how Jesus saw us. That's how he sees the world around us. And you and I need to see them exactly the same way. I want to I ask you this and then we'll close. I, I want to challenge you with this. I want to challenge you to develop this, we, we, we can make it spiritual and call it a discipline, okay? Habit. Call it whatever you want. Practice. But I want to challenge you to, to build this into your life. That each time you come into contact with a person, whether it's for the first time you've never seen them before, or it's a person you work beside every day, but you're seeing them now this morning again since last night, since you went home, or somebody you went to school with, you haven't seen them since you left class yesterday. Each time... That you, that you 
are coming towards that person, what if we all develop this discipline into our life? To ask ourselves one simple question, and it would look like this. Where will this person spend eternity? Now, what if you and I did that everywhere we went? With that, with that checkout girl at the grocery store, it's got an attitude. Where will she spend eternity? For that boss that you don't like, where will he, where will she spend eternity? For that neighbor that's giving you a hard time about the height of your grass, where will they spend? You understand, you understand what I'm saying? What if, what if you and I trained ourselves to do that? And if you say, well, I, don't, I just don't think we can do that. Sure, we can. Let me ask you a question. I don't know if we have any dentists here, but if you have a dentist, what is the first thing a dentist notices when he sees you? Yeah, that's not hard, folks. Your teeth. He's looking at your teeth. He's waiting for you to smile or something. He or she is waiting for you. They're looking at you. What is a shoe salesman? What's the first thing he notices about you? My, my daughter, daughter-in-law is a hairstylist. What do you think the first thing is she notices about people? As a follower of Jesus, why can't the first thing we, we think about when we see a person is their spiritual condition? Where will this person spend time? Now, I'll tell you this. Whether you're meeting them the first time or whether you, whether you have to work with them every day or see them in class, whether they're the biggest jerk in the world or the nicest person or whatever, if you'll ask yourself that question, if you'll train yourself to ask yourself that question every time, it will radically change the way you approach that person. Your attitude towards them will be different. You're, you'll measure your words more carefully when you say something to them. You'll be quicker to apologize when you, when you get it wrong. And you will. I do. We do. And God will just might use you to engage them, to get it revolving in their mind because you're intentionally looking for the opportunity to share Jesus. The Athenians prided themselves on their intellect, but Paul knew something they didn't know, and he was determined to help them know about God and his love. Paul could have just laid low while he was in Athens. Knowing what all he had been through before he got there, no one could blame him if he did keep quiet. But Paul's spirit was too burdened for the lostness all around him. So he was intentional about engaging those around him. You and I need to have that same burden for the lost around us and be willing to engage others, no matter what happens. If we do, we'll see God open doors for ministry that can introduce people to the life-giving power of the cross. We invite you to join us on a Sunday morning at Cross Culture Church. We gather each week in a casual and contemporary atmosphere to celebrate the goodness of our God. Cross-culture may be a little different from what you're thinking. Sure, we're a church, but instead of religion, we're about a relationship, a community of believers where Jesus is revealed in the lives of each person, real people who truly care, solid biblical teaching from Pastor Clay Stevens, and the most energetic, fun, and safe kids program around. Find out more at crossculture.church. Cross Culture Church in North Raleigh, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.